0: all right so i am super excited to be sitting here with veronica ewers i'll actually how do you say your last name because i always just say ewers but i don't know if that's correct or not
1: that's correct oh sweet yeah most people say ewers or ewers yeah so ewers is correct it's like a baby sheep a you
0: (laughs) well thank you so much for being here i'm so excited to have you as our first guest on the wheel talk podcast it's really exciting awesome i'm excited to be here (laughs) I wanted to kind of get like the the mundane question out of the way that is actually, that is also quite necessary, I think, in your case, because you are brand new to the sport. How did you find cycling?
1: Oh, man, <laughs> it was a very interesting way into cycling. Um, I mean, I've been riding a bike since I was a kid, but, you know, just riding to and from school. Um, I grew up in a small town called Moscow, Idaho. Um, so. Once I was in elementary school, I was already just riding to and from school, Um, but I played soccer or football (laughs) um, pretty much my entire childhood through college. And then, you know, after my collegiate career um, within soccer ended, I had that um, sort of athlete crisis that I think a lot of people deal with of what am I doing now? Um, because so much of my identity was around being a student athlete. And then, um, once that was over, you know, I kind of had to figure out how to fill that void. Um, so I ended up running a ton and doing a lot of Olympic lifting and not really having any goals, but I was just doing it to fill that void. Um, and after I graduated from Willamette University, Uh, which is in Salem, Oregon, Um, I moved to Seattle, Washington and um, joined, ended up joining a local running community um, through which I met someone who was interested in duathlons. And I, excuse me, at the time was working for Seattle Children's Hospital and was riding my old hand me down Kona, Jake, the snake to and from work, um, which was maybe three miles one way, um, pretty flat. Um, and just like, I would, did not take care of the bike at all. (laughs) Um, but this friend asked if I would join her to a local meet the team ride. Um, not, Really knowing what I was getting into, I said yes just to support her because um, she was nervous to go by herself. um And of course, I showed up and I was on my Kona and with flat pedals and tennis shoes and wearing leggings and a sweatshirt. And then everyone else is fully kitted out <laughs> on really nice bikes. Do you have and any I pictures completely- from that first ride? Because I was just like, I feel like that would just be a gem. <laughs> I don't know if I have any photos of that specifically, but I recently posted, I think, a photo, a side-by-side on Instagram of just, like, where I was in 2018, I think. And I'm wearing, like, the helmet with the visor and with that Kona and, like, leggings and a, like, just regular workout top long sleeve. And at least it was high-vis. <laughs> 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 um But, yeah, I don't think I have any photos, uh, unfortunately. But, uh, yeah, so I ended up just saying, well, I'm here. I'm not going to back out, um, see how this goes. Um, And at that meet-the-team ride, I ended up meeting uh, Jennifer Wheeler and David Richter, who um, I guess saw something in me in that meet-the-team ride. I ended up – it was a very chill, relatively chill ride – um, but they were pretty surprised that I was still able to hang on with what I came, what I showed up wearing and using. Um, but uh, yeah, so they ended up um creating their own team, which became Fount Cycling Guild. Um, and Jennifer reached out to me pretty persistently after that meet the team ride saying that they were going to start this new team and that she wanted to develop a a strong women's team and wanted me to be a part of it um and so at that time I was still um you know I was still running a lot and part of that running community but didn't really feel like I was necessarily part of a team which I think I or didn't really feel like I had much of a community still um Seattle's pretty uh cold in the way people are at times. Um so it's really hard to find that network of people. Um but anyways I said sure, why not? I'll join this team. Not really thinking much um of it. I just thought it as an opportunity to maybe find that community. Um and that I think I officially joined in late 2018. Um but I was still focusing on running and not really doing much on the bike. And, and then, uh, with that team, my first race was in February of 2019. Um, at that point I had a decent bike, (laughs) which was good. Um, probably this third time I'd clipped into a bike was that race. Um, but yeah, from there, I just fell in love with cycling and competing and, Now I'm (laughs) racing in the world tour, which is pretty, uh, wild. I never, I never, ever would have thought I would have been here. I honestly used to hate riding a bike as a kid. Um, mostly I will blame my parents on this one because they would always want to go on bike rides on mother's or father's day. And they had really, well, they had road bikes And I was on a mountain bike and of course I was going to be miserable trying to follow them on a mountain bike while they're on road bikes when we're riding on the road. So I'm going to blame them for that one, but I ended up full circle coming back to it and falling in love with it.
0: Awesome. And did you find your community?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I met a lot of really, really incredible people, um, in Seattle and, You know, I was still working a 40-hour work week at Seattle Children's Hospital, and I fell 110% into cycling, but I was able to fulfill that social need through that community in cycling. Um, So that was really amazing, and I still keep in touch with a lot of people from that team. And um, someone from that team actually ended up moving to Girona, um, she's not a professional cyclist, but um, she obviously still rides a lot. And so um, now that I've moved to Girona, I am just uh, really happy to have a piece of home here as well. Have you talked at
0: all to um, to Taylor Wiles because she also was a soccer player in college and I didn't know that. Yeah, she she found the bike like through soccer, football as well.
1: That's amazing. I had no idea.
0: Yeah, it's like it's. I I actually know. uh, I know of one other soccer soccer to cycling player. That's uh, Carrie Higgins. She, I think she was before your time. Um, she used to be quite the impressive track rider, and she was on United Healthcare with me for a couple years. Right. Um, she taught me how to race a crit. But she also, yeah, she also went to cycling through soccer so it's it's not like a completely unconventional jump
1: yeah yeah I definitely I mean I was never known to be one of the more aggressive soccer players on the field I played outside mid primarily so I got to just run a lot (laughs) um but I mean I've I could totally see a center midfielder a center midfielder being just like a sprinter with that mentality or just being really beastly in crits for sure. Yeah. Just cause you have, to have that really aggressive, smart and aggressive mentality.
0: I don't know what, what position Taylor played, but you guys should chat.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I and mean, she's like a diesel out there. She can push hard. So I must be some sort of endurance position. Cause man, <laughs>
0: So you didn't really have, have a ton of um, knowledge about, like, professional women cycling before you kind of fell into it?
1: Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I, I Even men's cycling, too. I really, like, maybe saw bits and pieces of the Tour de France back in the day, but I really had no idea. And especially joining a women's team, I... I was like wait this is a sport? <laughs> <laughs> I mean I know there's like cycling but yeah it was completely new to me and yeah which is really unfortunate I think it there's a lot of talent untapped talent in the states but because it's not a very popular sport especially compared to the likes of most of Europe really um yeah it's a it would be interesting if more people got um involved in it.
0: Yeah, I wanted to ask about that because I guess you kind of hit the the US racing scene pre-pandemic, which was still there was still a bit of a scene. Like we still had the Tour of California in 2019. There was a bunch of races if you wanted to kind of dive into that. But then 2020 happened and obviously the pandemic happened and races were postponed and now we're looking at kind of the state of racing in the US is is pretty sad.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, I don't think I'll be going back to the States at all this year um, to race. Um, and I've, I mean, I've heard great things about uh, the Tour of California and even Redlands, which is still happening. But um, yeah, I my first pro nationals was in 2021. Um, so yeah, I mean, so many of the races in the U.S. had been are now no longer existing. Um, so, and you only did. Yeah. I think
0: from from looking at your your results on first cycling, you only actually did two races in the states, or two or three pro races in the states before you made the jump over to Europe, which is pretty nuts. Um, like that yeah, is yeah massive. That's a <laughs> massive shift.
1: Oh man, yeah, I think yeah, I did pro nationals and Joe Martin. And then I went to Ardesh and that was like a. Whew, and then you did the first
0: ever women's parry roubaix, which is
1: yeah, it was an experience. Yeah, I, I'm sure. <laughs> oh no, yeah, I I was so nervous, man. I I like to say I participated in the in parry roubaix. Um, I did not really race it, um, but it was an absolutely incredible experience, and I, yeah, it's it was very cool to be a part of that.
0: How have you found the learning, like the tactics and riding in the Peloton and everything, if you didn't have a ton of
1: experience before? It's, uh, it's pretty tough. Um, I, yeah, I find myself getting overwhelmed or giving into some fear sometimes, which makes me hesitate. And then I find myself at the back of the bunch and, you know, it's, it comes as second nature to a lot of the women in the peloton because they have been riding and racing for so long. Um, so it's, it's a lot of... I think for me, it's been much more of a mental challenge than a physical challenge navigating in the bunch because I think ultimately I know where I need to be and what I need to do, but it's the, the nerves of... Filling a gap in the bunch when we're going, however fast, and um, yeah, but it's been really awesome this year, seeing where our team is going. Um, it's still a pretty similar team to last year, but um, having the likes of Allison Jackson and Georgia Williams coming onto the team, it's um it's making our team a lot stronger in being able to support myself and other newer women on the team, newer as in maybe less experienced, um, helping us be more cohesive in working together in the bunch. So that has been really helpful this year. Um, But it's just a lot of racing as much as I can, getting as much experience as I can. Um, And fortunately from the team and the directors specifically um having races that are primarily for me to just gain experience and have no pressure um that has been really really helpful um but yeah it's it's such a learning experience um and especially coming in fairly well relatively late i guess um it's not normal to, you know, feel like you're going as fast as you are and be as close to other people. Um, so it's a it's very interesting experience to um, continue trying to develop on.
0: But it's something that, I mean, it seems like it comes pretty natural to you. you. You can't be, like, completely incapable of riding in a bunch and end up ninth at the first ever Tour de France femme of x yeah <laughs> Yeah, I, I
1: think... I mean, yeah, that's true. I think a lot of early last season helped me learn a lot going into it and understand the necessity of being toward the front to avoid crashes and just learning from mistakes. Um, it's funny. Somebody told me recently that, oh, my friend Morgan here in Girona told me that someone was asking her About me and my descending skills, which is, I think, hilarious because I used to be absolute shit at descending and everything. And I think they were asking her how I got so good at descending. And honestly, it's from getting dropped on the descent in races after working so hard on the climbs. That's just so demoralizing. And I think just experiencing that and not wanting that to happen again made me push my comfort zone to get into being able to descend a lot better and be less fearful because I don't want to continue working so hard and then having that demoralizing feeling so i think it the beginning of the year similarly with i guess working in the bunch i've put myself in really bad and not helpful situations by sitting at the back and being caught in a crash and then working really hard to get up or being at the back before a key moment and burning so much energy that I'm useless once I use that energy. Um, So it's really motivating to learn from your mistakes, I think. Um, But I still have a long way to go. So once
0: you kind of were introduced to cycling and you joined that team back in 2018, 2019, did you start to watch the women's races and kind of be like, okay, I, I want to get to that point? Or did you just follow a trajectory of kind of getting better and better and better and climbing the ladder? And then you found yourself on TIBCO?
1: Um, I did start watching more women's racing, not a lot, um, just cause I didn't have GCN and I, uh. Yeah, I didn't have much access, I guess in the states is a bit uh more difficult. Um now I've learned the amazingness of VPNs. <laughs> um uh but yeah, I think actually Strata was the first race that I watched and I was just in awe of how badass the women were <laughs> in that race and just how brutal the race looked. Um but even viewing it I was like there's like they were still just this this next level that I never saw myself getting to. Um, And it was just more motivating to see really strong women out there. And so I think that made me motivated to do my workouts and race, but not really with the goal of becoming a professional cyclist. Like I don't, I don't think I, that was just so unheard of in my mind to become a professional athlete. Um, so yeah, I just, I think I just kept training and racing because it was, I I loved doing that and it, that, yeah, it's where I found joy. And so then I just kept competing and doing pretty well, but, you know, you always have those doubts in your head of, well, it's, it's just local racing and, you know, when the Peloton is 20 women versus 170, it's quite different. Um, But I think, I mean, I do think that the women's Peloton in the States is getting stronger and stronger, just as the women's Peloton in Europe is getting significantly stronger. So that's really, really cool to see,
0: yeah, yeah, I really hope that in the future the u s racing scene kind of is reignited. I'm hoping that I mean, like similar to to men's racing in the states you have the the Tour de France really spurred a huge um cycling boom in the states, and now we have the Tour de France femme of xwift and I'm hoping that that means that that just by having that name and and kind of having that backing that there's at some point down the line a boom in the states with racing as well, and I think like having some incredible American riders like yourself and I mean Leia Thomas, hopefully she can come come back you know from her back injury and everything and like having having people like you guys to look up to racing in the Tour de France Femme of xwift it's just really, really inspiring for the future of racing in the U.S. i S I've got like all my fingers crossed because I just, it's such a, I I was part of kind of like a, this weird semi boom lull, like before my time racing, there was, there was a boom in the States where there was a lot more racing. There was like the, the race in Idaho, that was a huge deal and, and stuff like that. And the, the Colorado classic was bigger, the pro cycling challenge and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it's it's been such a bummer to watch the racing scene just kind of evaporate, and it, and I think because Americans are so obsessed with the Tour de France, the fact that we actually have a women's race, that it's live, that there's you know storylines to follow, that that the racing is just amazing to watch. Like, the, I didn't want the Tour de France to be my favorite race of 2022 because I wanted to be like, no, no, I'm a seasoned professional. I'm, I'm a seasoned fan. Like, I know, I know all these other races that you've never heard of and they were better, but, like, it was so good. <laughs> and I'm just hoping that that kind of carries itself into the U.S. and kind of spurs maybe, like, five years down the road we'll see, you know, a lot more... Excitement about racing, and I don't know. There's always rumblings about the Tour of California coming back, and I and I never believe them because I don't want to get my heart
1: broken like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I from my small hometown, they there were so many people that were reaching out to me. I mean, because I come from a small town, they were, I mean, interested, and in, of course, I'm in the local newspaper, which you know. It's just something interesting happening in the hometown, but it brought so many people just in my hometown to cycling in general. So many people hadn't even been interested in the men's Tour de France before, and now that there's a women's Tour de France and somebody that they can relate to being at this worldly stage in athletics, I think it just brought more people into the sport that way. So I really hope like you're saying more Americans that get involved in it can sort of make it a more popular sport. And I, I do think that, I mean, accessibility is a huge issue. Um, it's not a cheap sport to be involved in and <clears throat> it. Also, I mean, in my hometown, there was no such thing as a like a school cycling team. Um, so I think if we were to get more community and sort of extracurricular involvement in cycling, then that would build interest in cycling in general, especially in younger generations um, to make it a cool sport <laughs> um, for people to race in and whatnot. So, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of, I think accessibility is a huge part of it and knowledge around cycling because, you know, just maintaining a bike is a bit more difficult than grabbing cleats and shin guards and running out the door. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. How, how was, I also want to know about like, about that because you said last year you were part of the audio diaries for a former podcast podcast that shall remain unnamed and you said that you had a bunch of people like reaching out to you and and your parents were at the Tour de France, which was really cool. So has it been like, have you seen uh, before you would have thought, okay, like cycling is, is this niche sport, but once you're kind of part of it, you kind of start to see it everywhere and you realize like, Oh, actually all these kids that I grew up with are like now getting into cycling. Like even, apart from watching me race, did you find that at all?
1: Yeah, a bit. And I think just more and more people are reaching out to me about it and are really interested. I've had a couple people reaching out to me and say, "Hey, I'm like I'm really serious about wanting to be more um competitive in this sport." How how did you get there? And what do you recommend I do to get there? And what sort of things do I need to do? And that sort of thing. Um, So yeah, I totally see it happening. And it's interesting because I got involved in cycling just before COVID. Um, And I mean, a silver lining of COVID is that so many people got into riding a bike, um, just to do something during the pandemic and during quarantine. Um, so I think that on top of the tour de France femme, um, really created that cycling boom for so many people because they were already riding bikes and then saw this huge event happening that was honestly quite historic and, wanted to be more people wanted to be involved in that so yeah i see more and more people getting involved in it which is really awesome
0: all right so i want to backtrack a little bit so you talked a little bit at the beginning about community and kind of finding finding a community was part of what brought you to cycling and now ironically or I guess as it goes you're living in Girona which is like one of the biggest cycling communities in Europe at least one of the biggest biggest English speaking cycling communities in Europe so how are you finding it
1: I am really loving it I mostly just love having a place to come home to after races um last year I was living at a friend of a friend's mom's house in belgium for the first half and then that friend's friend of a friend's house um the second half um and i'm so grateful for those individuals for letting me stay in their homes um it really made my life a lot easier um transitioning over here um that said it still never it, it's hard for me to be in someone else's space and not feel like I'm in someone else's space, even though they say, you know, make yourself at home. Um, so I was really craving and missing having, you know, my own kitchen, my own mattress, my own pillows, um, just having a space that I can leave messy and not feel bad or, can maintain the standards of cleanliness that I prefer. Um, So that has been the biggest positive out of moving here. Um, That said too, I, I I had hesitated to move to Girona because I knew there were so many people here. Um, And I'm a person that enjoys their alone time um, and not not always wanting to bump into somebody I know everywhere I go. Um and that's what I expected when I moved here. Um, but I actually have not experienced that as much as I thought I would. Just avoid um, the coffee shops. Like if you yeah, avoid like totally. the,
0: the with the radius of the coffee shops, <laughs> you kind
1: of avoid yeah, yeah, for sure. everyone you know. Well you yeah, yeah, and I think I found a coffee shop that not many people know about mm. quite yet. So I was like Yes, this is where I go. Um, When
0: we're we're done, I'm going to text you my favorite coffee shop that no one knows about. And and it's awesome. And it's like, it's it's really great. It's like all gluten-free and like everything and the women that work there are just like amazing.
1: Anyway. Awesome. I will probably go there today (laughs) (laughs) post-ride. I... Yeah, I think that has been really nice, but I also have the ability to be social when I want to be social, whereas last year um I was pretty isolated and by myself a good 90% of the time um when I wasn't racing. So um not only do I have teammates that live here, but there are also so many women in the women's peloton that live here. So many men from the men's peloton that live here. And I have a good friend from Seattle who lives here as well. So <clears throat> I have that, fortunately have that ability to, um, be social when I want to be, um, and have that community. And Jerona also, because there are so many cyclists here has really all of the resources that are necessary. Um, just getting to the airport, for example, um, you know, knowing who to go to, if you have a bike mechanic need, um, the service course is like right there, I think for you guys. Yeah, totally. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's been really awesome so far. And I mean, I, when I moved into my place, I just went into full nesting mode because I hadn't really been able to make a place my own home so of course I got a massive fluffy Ikea carpet that I like because I like to lay on the floor and was like oh yeah this is amazing I missed having this ability so yeah it's been really awesome um and the writing the first time I came here I honestly was like why do people like Girona writing so much it's terrible and then I came here last august before the vuelta and i did more routes that my teammate had sent me and i was like okay <laughs>
0: yeah you have to like, I get out of the if you get out of like this circumference of the city there's it's just yeah. like endless the riding
1: totally it's yeah amazing. and like i think the first time i came here i was i don't know why i think i was using ride with gps or something and just Plotting routes and I was ended up on the highways and just dirt roads that were not great. And then, you know, Strava has a heat map. Mm -hmm. So I ended up doing that the second time and also got routes from friends that they recommended. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is much more pleasant.
0: Um, so if you're, if you're nesting in Drona, does that mean you see yourself being in the sport for a while? Do you think that this is a, do you have any like long-term
1: goals that you're really excited about? I mean, I am really excited to see the, to tap into the untapped potential that I have. Um, and I've heard from so many people that it takes about three to five years for a cyclist to really. Get into their groove in the sport, so next year will be my third year. Um, so I mean, hopefully, we'll see how it goes, um, in that way. But I think just yeah, I want to see where this goes, and of course, the Olympics next year is a goal. Um, and I think just continuing to learn in the bunch and learn the races, um, could benefit my potential result in the future Um, strata this last strata was my first time and um, it's just like a Belgian classic in the sense that there are so many key moments that you need to be in the right position at the right time and now having been through the race I know how important those key moments are Um, and so learning the courses and further developing cohesiveness within the team, I think is just really exciting. And so, yeah, I, I mean, I don't necessarily have long, long plans. Um, I've signed with EF education, TIBCO SVB for through 2025. Um, so I'm here until then, (laughs) um, at the very least, um, which is really exciting. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's a, world that i never expected to be in and i'm happy to be here
0: so you started out your prep for for this year if, if we like look at this year just um in a bubble you started your prep in Colombia. i want to know with what the story is with that
1: oh man so i last year was wanting to take advantage of having time off in the off season um and really love traveling. Um, and some of my best experiences with travel in my life has been in central and South America. Um, and I had mentioned altitude to, um, my director, Tim Harris, um, one of our directors. And he was like, Oh my gosh, Colombia is amazing. And I was like, really? That I've not heard great things about Colombia." And he was like, no, no, no. I have friends there. And it's some of the best writing I've ever done. And I was like, all right, sold. I've been to so- several countries in South America and have only had good experience. Um, and, yeah, booked a flight and made connections uh, when I was there. And they were just so amazing. And I had known that Meek had been there a lot and trusted my director to know that it was safe. And honestly it was some of the best writing I've ever done while also being and feeling the safest I've ever felt while out on training rides. So yeah, it was, it was really, really a really cool experience.
0: Awesome. You were there for a while, too.
1: Yeah, just under a month, which, yeah, it was very cool.
0: <laughs> and you got to, did you hang out with Rigo?
1: I briefly saw him. He had been um, doing uh, several Giro de Rigo's, um races um, in the area. He did uh, in Costa Rica, I think, and then forgot where else he was going i think he did one in mexico and yeah i think i'd sort of connected with him a little bit about connecting for a ride but it didn't work out and then i passed him on a ride and we said hello in person and i was like of course fangirling i was just like
0: God, this is amazing he's really uh he's he's like a rock star he's like the rock star of oh yeah he has
1: (laughs) This, um, they're called fincas and it's like a plot of land that people, it, it's hard to explain what it is, but it's just like a plot of land that people can do what they want with it. So like I met someone and stayed with someone in Colombia who had a finca, but it was like a really nice mountainside home that was like their vacation home, but Rigo has Um, a finca that has like a petting zoo and a cafe slash restaurant and a bike shop on it. And like, it's in this, it's in this area called Llano Grande. Um, and you pass it so many times on certain routes and it's like where everybody goes to get coffee. And, um, I was actually there one time. Um, with some people and I was wearing my EF kit and uh, I sent Rigo a selfie and was like, hey, I met your finca. It was the first time I had been there and immediately he calls the managers and is like, they don't pay. Give them their coffee for free. Give them the food for free. And I was like, oh my God. And he sent me home with some coffee and I was just like, oh, this person is that's awesome <laughs> yeah so you've you've had a couple races
0: so far this year but I also wanted to ask you about something that you've talked about on social media which is kind of the pressure that you're feeling at the moment I mean I, I think that you've we've talked a bit about how you you've you're new to the sport you're like fresh on the scene but you've had some incredible results already and you're feeling internal pressure to kind of back those up so how are you how are you feeling now it's it's been a little been like a month of the season so far and you've done some stuff so are you feeling better about it or have you found a way to kind of deal with it or are you still working through it
1: I would say I'm still working through it a bit um I know that and feel that the majority of the pressure is coming from myself um I mean, there is pressure from the team to some extent, but they are so good at balancing when there are races that I need to be focused on and feel that pressure and races that are no expectations. You're still a developing rider. And they've been very vocal with me about knowing and understanding that I still am learning so much, but also have this ability at times to be a race leader. Um, so they're really good at balancing that on the flip side. I have a lot of expectations for myself, um, which aren't necessarily always fair. Um, but yeah, I, actually spoke a lot with um, Allison Jackson this last race block um, about this sort of internal pressure that I'm feeling and, you know, being in the bunch and getting really frustrated with myself when I let fear take over or do something wrong and just end up in this sort of um, frustrated mindset, I guess, in the middle of the race. And she was saying, you know, you really need to focus on the small wins. Even if you get your handlebars in front of somebody else in a key moment, you have to celebrate that and be your own cheerleader sort of thing and just hype yourself up even with those small moments so that you get in the mentality of being positive and focusing on that positivity rather than the negative. Um, So I am really trying to work on that and I'm Very, very thankful to have teammates like AJ who sort of uh, put me or make me focus on being more positive um, in certain moments. Um, Not being so positive that you're complacent with your your effort if it's not what it needs to be, but balancing that with being – giving yourself grace, I guess, um, which is something that I definitely need to work on. Um, so it's a balance of that. I need to find of, you know, finding those positive moments while also maintaining that drive to be the best that I can be. Um, so definitely still working on it.
0: <laughs> Does the team have like a sports psych or anything? Cause I know a couple teams have, have sports psychs that work with the riders. And I think it's something that should really be normalized, like, especially in our time, um, to just that, like all athletes should just have a, have a sports psych that they can turn to because it's yeah. The mental side of the sport
1: is, is huge. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, yeah, it's definitely, I think the largest part of the sport to be honest. Um, but I, I work with a sports psychologist, um, the team does not have one in particular but they're very um supportive of each of us having a sports psych um i it's i think it's really important to find a sports psych that best works for you because you know your therapy is very individualized um so i've even spoken with a few teammates about working with a sports psych and saying that I really enjoy mine and give them their contact info, but also say, you know, it's like, you kind of need to shop around for who your therapist slash sports psych is because it is so individualized. And I know I've spoken with so many, (laughs) excuse me, therapists and sports psychs in the past um, that are also in the same boat that they want it to be a good connection to work with you instead of forcing a connection if it's not there. I mean, it's Um, the same as
0: coaching. Like you, you want your coach. Yeah. It's like exactly the same. I've always compared coaching to, to dating kind of like you, you can't just be with someone who who, be coached by someone who you think, okay, well on paper, they're really great. And then if, if it's not working, you need to, you need to switch. It's you can't just like stick with someone if it's not yeah. right. Yeah, Same I thing. completely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, cool. I'm glad that you found that because I think a lot of people, like I know myself, I I had also like a very quick <laughs> trajectory, um, in, in my very insignificant career and I never worked for the sports psych. And it was one of the things that I look back on, I was like, God damn, if only it had been a little bit more normalized in my time, like I might've been able to tackle a couple of the, the demons that I was fighting internally. And I don't know where I would be. Um, so it's awesome that, that you're doing that already. Cause it's, it's just so important.
1: Yeah. Thank you. I, yeah, it's been, I'm so glad that it's become more normalized. Um, and not just in sports. I think it's becoming more normalized in general. And I joke around with my, one of my good friends back home, but we're like, you know, if, I mean, I'm heterosexual, but (laughs) I'm like, If there's a guy that's in therapy, I'm super into that because it means that they're working on their emotions and they're working on their own personal being and that makes them a better partner and so it's like it's it's a very awesome thing to go to therapy if it's I mean, I don't know it's it's great if people are able to get into therapy and have that um support in their in their court,
0: yeah, one hundred percent. Cool. Well, it's been it's been 45 minutes. I've kept you long enough. You should probably get out on your bike. But thank you so much for your time. It's just been incredible getting to know you. And uh, hopefully, you won't you know feel too much pressure at the Tour de France. Then we can con- convince you to do the audio diaries again because they were just like yeah. they were peak last year. They were so good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Great. I love it. I would love to do that. Um, yeah. Thank you for having me. And Next time you're in Girona, maybe we can go to that coffee place. Yeah, yeah, 100%.